electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. That's right, Kelly, live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York's Times Square. I am Brian Sullivan, in for Melissa this week. Your traders tonight are Pete Nigerian, Karen Feinemann, Tim Seymour, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Tesla reporting earnings moments ago, or at least results. The stock very volatile after hours, although right now down just a bit. We are going to be all over the after hours action and bring you the very latest. Plus, something is happening with stocks and Bitcoin that has never happened before. And it could spell more pain for stocks ahead. Wells Fargo's top strategist has a big and scary call, and he is here now to explain. Chris Harvey, your guest. But first, just when you thought it was safe to go back into the market, stocks tanking or taking investors for a wild ride yet again. The Dow surged nearly 400 points at the highs of the day. However, the last 15 minutes, a very different story. Stocks getting crushed losing 300 points in just 15 minutes of trading to cause potentially higher rates. Folks, it looks like we're going to need a bigger boat or a bigger bank account. The 10-year yield surging past 2.85%, which weighed heavily on the market today. So with 1,000-point swings in a matter of moments, the type of volatility that we have not seen in years, Guy Adami. Yes, sir. Well the, the longer this goes on, Mom and Pop are going to start to read about it, not in Fast Money or CNBC's website, but on the cover of the USA Today. Sh should they feel safe getting into this market? Well, safety, you're, you're implying that somehow volatility makes the market less safe. I, mean, I guess that's the inference, right? It just makes the market more volatile. I think in terms of safety, I think stocks are a collateral damage of what's going on. And I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but I think the fundamentals of the stock market, quite frankly, are still intact. What's not intact is that for the first time in a long time, as you mentioned, volatility is back. It's interesting. Started the show last night talking about vol. Pete said he saw $20 put buyers in the VIX. I think the VIX actually might have had printed right down Close, to that 21. level, 21. and yeah. it came right back. So yeah. one of the things I said, I think Vol's here to stay. Pete said he thinks it's trade 20. Wound up both being right. I happen to think Vol's going to be here for an extended period of time. When I say that, I, quite frankly, I could think we could see this into March what or I'm, April. What I'm trying to say, though, Pete, is that if the, if for the VIX aside, I get the yeah. VIX. But for mom and pop, they're not sitting around the table talking about the VIX. Right. What they're talking about is, hey, did you see the Dow soared today? Now it collapsed. Oh, but then it soared again. Is that a safe market they want to put their money into? I think it's a conversation a lot yeah, of people are going to have. I'm sure that's a conversation. Uh, you know what? Safe? I, I think people just always should. If they're at home and they're not trading every single day like those of us on the desk, you just have to go through this, and the fundamentals is what Guy just brought up. Well, the fundamental story is there. We've gone through a big chunk of the earnings. January, we were fulfilled with unbelievable numbers when you go across it. And because of that, when you look where many of the companies, not all, there are some that are absolutely in the stratosphere as far as the price to earnings multiple. But there are others that I think are very opportunist. There is opportunities there. And if they get sold off, those are on the list when you're looking in sell-offs. Yesterday, we talked about Goldman Sachs. That was one of the names. I dipped my toe in yesterday. I bought some. 
Trump, I decided to sell it this morning. Why? Not because I felt like I was at a top, because the stock had moved $12 in about 12 hours. That's why I took it but off. But the entire market, I, I think, got you know, overly complacent in the time of, of, of fear. So in other words, what we had happened a week ago or on Friday was that we had this move up on interest rates on a payroll number. Everyone tried to now spend the next two or three days talking about this was an event that was born out of a levered ETF cycle, and it's not. Uh, the bottom line is people are wrestling with ERP, equity risk premium, where stocks versus bonds make sense. I'm not going to tell you that it's blown out of the water. But again, for the folks at home, a market with a lot more volatility is a riskier market, which is a less safe market. So I, let's I don't be agree. Clear. I don't agree, actually. Well, for who, though? Because uh, just think about it. The volatility index spikes. Let's call it the fear index. It spikes when the market is down. So those same stocks that have had no fundamental difference, right? They've reported great yep. earnings. We do have a tax bill, right? Those things are exactly the same, and yet it's cheaper. Feels bad. It's scary. But the but, price but it, is actually it, but, cheaper. This was the same stock that's, three days ago. That's great ago. if you do nothing, Karen. But a lot of people don't sit around and do nothing. And by the way, by definition in a stock market, when a stock moves like this all over the place, it's a riskier stock. And in terms of total return or in terms of risk-adjusted returns, wait, wait, wait. that's but not as good of an investment. About, it would seem safer when the volatility index was 13 two weeks ago and stocks were up here. That seems safe, right? I'm long. I'm this is long why. Dead. Is this, this one is reason one. to? I don't want to say ignore the VIX, Pete, but at right. the same, what bothers me about the VIX, and I think this is kind of what well, you're Ken getting and at. I are having a conversation which, here, though. You, I mean, I, I look because the bottom line. Well, <laughs> I, I don't think we finished the point, though, because I, 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 I get you what did. you're saying, Karen. But ultimately, we have a situation where uh, I think there's a lot of stocks, and volatility is portending maybe a higher move in volatility, isn't it? I mean, ultimately, we thought that when volatility that went down, no, it's going to stay down. I think volatility is going to come down yeah. over the coming weeks, not up. Could it spike? again, sure, but I think it's coming down from 25.6 wherever we're closed. I think a month from now we're going to see something I don't think it's going to stay at 30, but, but again... It Part of my earlier point, though, was that people thought we got through this. We wanted to explain a reason why the stock market did what it did, when, in fact, there are multiple reasons. And another reason today is that the dollar moved almost 1%. That's 2.2% in the dollar off the lows in three sessions very quietly at a time when the dollar was your best friend over the last few months. So, uh, you know. It's about algorithms. It's about the dollar. It's about all kinds of other different issues, Tim. And I totally agree with you. I think you're saying the same thing. But. To Karen's point, when you get this kind of volatility in the marketplace, oftentimes that does create the it's opportunity. opportunity. I, and that yes. opportunity comes with, you get a 1,200-point sell-off, you're looking for those opportunities because we already know a lot of the fundamental facts because many of those names that are part of that actually have already given us the facts. They've given us their earnings. They've told us how well things are going. And I don't think that's going to change over the next quarter, two quarters, three quarters. So it does create opportunity. So is there a fear factor? There is a fear factor. Volatility is high. It shouldn't always mean that means you can't participate in the market, because I think you can. Can I talk? Come on back to this, buddy. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Thanks, Chief. Pal. Thank you, pal. Enjoy. Pal and Take Chief. Tomorrow, everybody. See you tomorrow night. Uh, Pete, here's my point. Yeah. Why does the VIX only seem to go up when the market's going down? If it's truly a volatility index, right. it should be just as crazy when stocks soar as when they collapse. Well, there's no doubt about that, and we've actually seen the market go up and the VIX go up, but it was off those lower levels. And, uh, you know, that, that is something that happens all the time. Also, let's always remember this. Yes, it, we call it the fear index. I don't, but most everybody else does, so I'll play along. You call it the fear index. I don't actually, it. it's giving you a measure of how much movement is in the marketplace itself. Karen and I were talking about this. A 30 VIX 
is going to be a that means if it can stay there, it's going to sustain monstrous moves within the S&P 500 on a daily basis. That's why a 30 VIX doesn't last very long, and that's why we see these spikes and it comes right back down. So, in terms of when you when is it safe to get back in? I think that's sort of the way we led the show. So go back to Tuesday after Martin Luther King Day. You talked. Yep. Pete just mentioned days that the market goes higher and the VIX goes higher. Go back to that Tuesday after Martin Luther King Day. That's exactly what happened. Right. I, think the, I think the Dow was up close to 300 points. The VIX was higher that yep. day. First time we'd seen that in years. So when do you know it's safe to get back in in terms of volatility going away? A day, in my opinion, that the market's down big and the VIX is lower as well. You, sort of, you saw a little bit of it today, maybe, but I think you'll start to manifest But, Guy, itself. what leads us? I'm beginning to worry, and maybe if I'm completely wrong, tell me. I'm beginning to worry the VIX is leading equities rather than equities leading the VIX because the VIX has become its own beast. Like we saw Friday, people had to go because out and buy all these far-forward VIX futures because they got screwed on the short volatility contracts, which said people got spooked. The VIX is spiking, sell stocks. But the VIX is responding to market factors, not responding to right. individual stock right. factors. So you want to know when it's going to be time to get back into the market? And we're not telling everyone to get out of the market, by the way. But the point was, when should people feel like things have calmed down? Uh, first of all, interest rates are now back up at 285 on the 10-year. The dollar's up 2%, as I said. Um, you know, Marco Kolanovic who was on our show last night, we spoke about this. He said he thought that actually you'd gotten a lot of the bad news out of the way, that, that rates were actually so oversold to the upside that they had to come back in. Well, right now, it doesn't look like they want to come back in. And considering where we were and how much of a coiled spring rates were under and how central banks have manipulated rates and people don't know where they're going, it tells me people are very uncertain about the okay. short term. Okay, Karen Feynman, listen, I understand the rate argument. I get it. It's the, vil it's the, it's the Darth Vader. It's the easy villain, right? In 2013, the 10-year spiked to 3.0%. Right. And stocks continued to rise. It moved right. just as quickly then. We're not, we're not there I yet. Know. And everyone's saying, oh, a 15 basis point move in the 10-year is destroying equity valuations. I, I, don't, I, I mean, I understand the argument. I don't really subscribe to it. To me, the rates are moving because we have a GDP that's really started to hum along. That is normally a good thing for stocks. I am afraid of a big spike up. So when we had that little taper tantrum back that you, you referred to, or we had one in 1994, but usually when we have rising rates, the market actually does go up. As long as we don't have rates that just spike out of nowhere. That's the scary thing. Rising rates on their own are really okay. All right, well, all the market's ups and downs this week sent 14 Dow stocks into correction. That is down more than 10% from their highs. But your next guest has three names that could be worth a buy right now, even with all the volatility. Let's go right now to the charts with Robert Sloimer of Fundstrat Global Advisors. Rob, bring some, bring some good news and optimism to us right now, can all right. you? All right, Brian, let's, let's take a look at the Dow 30. If you think about some of the names there, you've got Caterpillar, Boeing, Visa, stocks that have had astronomical moves. And to a certain extent, they look like the market. So, you know, are there opportunities in the market at this point that have had decent pullbacks or in consolidation patterns that perhaps are a little less risky as this volatility is still an issue for the market? So we're going to look at a few names. It's a little bit of dumpster diving, but I think that the risk profile for these stocks is lower than some of the other names that have been very high momentum stocks. So this is a very long-term chart of IBM going back to 1998, and it clearly has been a dog here as we've moved in through the 2000s. We have this big, big 
bear market, and now it looks like it's trying to bottom. So I think that this 140, 145 range becomes a pretty interesting area to look at it. It doesn't look like the market. It's not a crowded momentum trade. And I think for the long-term investors, we're seeing a much longer-term turn. What's the concern here? This relative performance is obviously still very, very weak. It tells us that the institutional managers haven't come back to the stock. I want to see that improve. But I think from a price profile and from a risk, from an air pocket standpoint, Pretty reasonable risk reward for long-term investors, not for traders. Now, let's take a look at Chevron. Energy market's been trying to put in a bottom since 2015. We're starting to see lower or higher, higher lows and higher highs, so incrementally starting to improve. And again, it's a profile that doesn't look like the broader market. So you can sort of draw this rough, rough trend channel. Chevron's come back into an awful lot of support here. Again, I don't think you have a huge air pocket. And I think if energy is broadly longer-term improving, which is, is what we're seeing with the, uh, with the commodity, then these sort of pullbacks become opportunities. You're getting a 3.9% dividend. That's a pretty healthy yield on a stock like that. And then lastly, when we look at Disney, again, a name that's been, you know, in a roughly a very broad 30% correction for over two years. So it doesn't look like a high-momentum name. It's not stretched. It's not way above its 200-day. And if we were to draw a 200-week, sort of comes in here, that's very long-term support. This is what Nike looked like a month and a half ago before it started to take off. So I think the risk-reward in these levels looks really attractive. So those are three names. A couple of them have very high dividends. I think IBM's around 3.8. Chevron's around 3.9. Disney's a little bit lower, around one and a quarter or so. But I think they're non-market profile stocks to give you a bit of diversification. All right, Rob, the one thing I'm learning about the show, it's like the reverse survivor. We don't vote people off, we vote people on. So you guys have got to decide, did Rob's, what, are you deciding with the Bring whole team? Bring him in, man. Yeah. I, well, I'm one vote. you speak for everybody? No, I'm one vote. I'm, I'm saying Rob's coming over. I'm with this You're in? Yeah. yeah. I want a piece of Robert. Let's go. There you go. What about me? Well, my vote vote is me. We have a well, quorum. It doesn't three. matter anymore. We already have a quorum. Rob, come on over. Come on over. The water's fine. He was in limbo there for a minute. Is there any one of those, is there any one of those names, and thank you, by the way, because I think right now we need a little bit of sort of just, you're the technicals, things look pretty good, that looks the best. Out of those three names? Yeah. Look, I think if you're a long-term investor and we want to be positioning it from a long-term, not from a trading standpoint, despite it being fast money, I think if you look at IBM and that big, long, ugly bottoming pattern, very diversified, looks completely different than the market, it's going to take time, but I think it is in a bottoming profile. So that would be the name I'd pick. Okay. Robert, when you look at some of these other names like a Disney and, and the ones that at least had, let's face it, those two names right there are stocks that at least over the last few months and in IBM's case last couple of years are challenges. Have they been underperforming during this period? Or have you been surprised at, at the resiliency? Well, they haven't been resilient. They've lagged, right. right? Their relative performance is drifting off the page while everything else has been moving higher. So you have to sort of look at those stocks and say, you know, what is wrong with these names? The market's very good at sniffing out leadership and good fundamentals. But I think after that period of consolidation, you're starting to see names that are working through a transition. And again, if we're trying to diversify portfolios away from some of the higher momentum, I don't think you have to sell it all. But giving you a little bit of uh, downside protection, these stocks don't have a lot of upside momentum. I think they make a lot of sense. Yeah. Plus, a few of those names are getting these big, fat dividends, so you get paid to wait. Do you think stocks now are just collateral? One of the points I tried to make, are they just collateral damage of what's going on in volatility? Or are the fundamentals of the stocks driving volatility? Well, I can't speak to the fundamentals. But if you look at the price profiles of the market overall, a lot of the cyclicals, a lot of the momentum names, they had an incredible surge from August 15th right through the beginning of January. So they were getting extended. I don't think anybody on this desk would have looked at the profile of the stock market and said, yeah, pullback wouldn't be unusual. 
So the pullback we saw at 10% on a variety of indexes, right down to the 200-day on the futures. It's, it's almost too textbook, right? The VIX spikes, trend spikes. That's the point, though. It's almost, it's almost, it's almost too, too perfect. So I don't know if the fundamentals are changing. The market will sniff that out. But at this point, it still looks like just a pullback within a longer-term bull market. And our cycle work, for what it's worth, bottomed in 16. I think the yeah. next bear market's in 19. So I think 18 is going to be fine, but more volatile. I like it. I heard the out too. You're not even recommending. Yeah, he's not even recommending. Bill, Bell Canada. That's right. Anybody like any of these names? Well, I got a question about Disney. On your chart, you sort of had this channel, and yeah. what is the downside if it breaks through the bottom of that? Well, what I didn't what I didn't put on that chart was the 200 week. And if you look at the 200 week as a general proxy for long term support, a four year moving average, that's where the S and P bottomed in 16. So I think that low end of the channel, and I'd, I'd have to go back and look at it, but the low end of the trading range I think is going to hold. I don't think it's going to break. You had two years to break this name in a bull market. So I think the downside is pretty limited. Robert, it was a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you very Thanks, much. Guys. Good stuff. Thanks. Yeah. All right, coming up, Tesla reporting their numbers moments ago. The conference call kicking off in just a few minutes. We're going to let you know what e Elon Musk is telling investors about the quarter. Plus, Bitcoin and stocks are doing something they've never ever done before and that could spell more volatile moves ahead we'll tell you what it is and how you might be able to profit later on steve Wynn stepping down from his namesake company now rumors are floating the casino giant may be up for sale but what is the empire worth without the man whose name is on the building if analysts are right the answer may surprise you much more fast money still ahead All right, we have got a news alert here on Fast Money regarding former GE CEO Jeff Immelt and Athena Health. Bertha Coombs, kind of a file this under maybe the most surprising headline of the year. Or ironic at any rate. Uh, Jeff Immelt, of course, the former chairman and CEO of GE, was pushed out by activist investors at, uh, at the Tryon Fund, uh, now named the chairman of Athena Health. That's the electronic records and health IT firm in Boston, where... Immelt had moved for GE. Uh, Immelt, of course, when he was at GE, had pushed healthcare. In an announcement, uh, in a statement in the announcement, he said that he has always been inspired by founder-led firms. Now, the founder of the firm, Jonathan Bush, who has been under pressure from activist investors at Elliott Management for the better part of the last year, will remain as CEO. And he, in the statement, also welcomed Jeff Immelt's uh, participation. The stock uh, was up about 1% during the session, up about 1% here after hours. The interesting thing is that the shakeup from Elliott Management that they've been pushing for has certainly been paying off in terms of the stock. It was up better than 20% last year after having been down better than 30% the year before. Immelt, as part of this deal, is going to be buying a million dollars worth of the stock as part of his compensation. He'll get about $280,000 worth of restricted stock this year. Uh, interesting timing in a filing. Jonathan Bush sold about 25K shares as part of a planned sale. Back to you. Wow, really amazing. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. All right, take a look at this chart of GE or whatever maybe some are calling Jeff Immelt's reign of stock terror. Stock down 35% during his 16-year run as CEO. The S&P, of course, guys, during that time, making all-time highs. He made bad decisions, bad deals at the wrong time. And you get this story about he had a backup jet some of the time following his own jet. What do you make of him being named chairman of a reasonably sized public company? 
I think he's a smart guy who's got a lot of expertise in peripheral areas that could probably help this company. He's not running the company. He's brought in as a chairman. So um, say what you want about Jeff Immelt, but I think he's certainly a, a, a guy with a lot of expertise and a lot of skill set. Um, and, and Athena, look, the story there is they've been growing their operating margins. They've been, you know, kind of struggling to, to show that they can ramp up that business. I, you know, I don't think this is a bad hire. This is, you know, again, he's not My running issue the with it would be this. Uh, Jeff has proven himself time and time again to us that he's reactive, not proactive. And that's been the biggest problem. That's why GE underperformed. That's why it's down when you're looking at the S&P up. That's what concerns me, quite honestly, is the advice that he may be giving them, Tim, might not be the advice that they want. They bought energy at the very highs. They sold out of the financial at the very lows in terms of GE. Those are all problems, and I'm not I'm not. Oh God. Dissing I, I, I will I'll yeah. defend him a bit and say sure. that the one part of GE that people say may have the most value aside from the aircraft it's engines healthcare. is healthcare, Karen. Right. Well, yeah. I think that the job of the chairman isn't really so much to form the strategy. I think the job of the chairman might be somewhat, maybe particularly in this company, rein in the CEO a little bit, bring in some more 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 corporate structure, I guess, the kind of He's chairman you know, of the board. He's chairman of the board. So right? I so, mean he's hurting those cats, right? Isn't he ultimately? And and yeah. they're they're passing on certainly judgment and and advice to the management, but I agree with what you're saying. He's not running this company. And I also think, I mean, if it was rumored, I sort of believe that it was true that he was at some point in the in the race to to run Uber. So there are Diadami, would you would you if you owned Athena, would you sell it on this? Athena Health. If you don't own it, would you well, buy it? I mean, I mean ML activists involved trades now at 32 point. times forward earnings, give or take, which is expensive in terms of the market, and it's expensive when you compare it to its peers. For example, Cerner, if you want to throw that out there, trades closer to 21 times forward earnings. So to answer your question, I would sell the stock on valuation, not necessarily Mr. ML in or out. All right, still ahead. Tesla volatile after hours. The conference call and their results getting underway in a couple of minutes. We're going to tell you what investors are waiting to hear from Elon Musk later on. You are watching Fast Money, of course, on CNBC first in business worldwide. Meantime, here's what's coming up on Fast. Snap out of it. And shares of Snap have done just that, surging nearly 50%. And we'll tell you why that could be just the beginning. Plus, has Bitcoin suddenly become the tail that is wagging the market's dog? That's what Wells Fargo says, and it could spell more volatility ahead. The strategist behind the call will explain why when Fast Money returns. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks up, Bitcoin up. Stocks down, Bitcoin down. Hmm. Hmm. Has Bitcoin become a greed gauge or a market gauge? Maybe so. Let's go down to the New York Stock Exchange, where apparently a party has broken out. Papasani, <laughs> is the party for you? They were doing, no, there's a party every day down here. And uh, if they were just playing uh, uh, the Cheers theme from the 80s here, the 80s never died down here. Hey, is Bitcoin and the S&P 500 correlated? Well, it might seem that way if you look at what's happened in the last week or so. So Bitcoin has dived as the S&P has dived, as Brian mentioned, bounced on Tuesday just as the market has bounced. Looks like there's some relationship, but the longer term correlation is really much weaker. I mean, obviously, Bitcoin was up 1,300% last year. The S&P was up perhaps 25%. Right now, Bitcoin and other large cap cryptos have a very low correlation with the S&P 500. But as the number of people trading cryptocurrencies increases, it's possible the correlation could go up. The vast majority of crypto trading is done by retail. We know that. Now we have a massive sell-off in the crypto market. So the question is, 
What percentage of the crypto market is also investing in stocks? And did the sell-off in crypto cause anyone to sell their stock holdings? I tend to think that this is fairly small, that this gets into a separate question of causation versus correlation. I think that's also fairly small. But remember, it used to be argued that cryptocurrencies were uncorrelated assets. So if a correlation became stronger, it may not necessarily be welcomed by everyone. Now, that said, it's possible it worked in the other direction this week, by the way. The S&P 500 impacted Bitcoin and cryptos. The 5% drop in the S&P Monday was a very sudden event. Its suddenness and the steepness of the plunge may have caused some fear in selling in markets generally, perhaps even including crypto. So maybe there's a little bit of a narrative there. Back to you, Brian. Bob Hassani, if I was there, I would throw a party for you, my friend. Thank you very much. Okay. Right. Let, let, let's trade this. Correlation is not causation. Let's say it all together. Does Bitcoin Correlation is not, not causation. causation. Thank you very much. Then I would, well, I'm going to see you after class. Him. Did you guys need to reinforce that? By <laughs> he said, let's he say it. He said, Aaron and I stayed quiet. So, anyway. What's up? I keep raising the chair up. Uh, guy, guy Adami, yes, do you think that Bitcoin is in any way related to the equity markets? Personally, I don't. But history will say, the small history Bitcoin has suggests that maybe there is something to it. I've said all along that if you want to trade equities on the back of this, the best way to go is CME. But as our guest will tell you, maybe there is some causation here. I think there here. definitely is. I think the migration of the, I mean, that the, you have a changing said base. This before. You have a changing base of Bitcoin owners now. And if I look at something much more narrow than Bob's chart, looking November 30, Bitcoin really started to go berserk in December. And the S&P like and the Bitcoin from then are almost within 1% of each other. And when you get really, really volatile markets like we've had in the last few days, everything correlates. I think no But question. how about better defining and say it's at the extreme point is which when Bitcoin really you know, defined that. So in other words, you talk about November made its run from mid-November and started losing it, whatever we want to call that, in mid-January. Those were, that was defining the blow-off top of this market. Would you get, and that's why it did. But hold it. on, guys. Let's bring yeah. in our guest. Because yeah, yeah, your right. next guest, your next guest, called the correlation between cryptos and the market on this very show. Listen. I think it just becomes finance 101. What you have is a risk-on situation, and today we had a risk-off situation. The risk-on situation is equities are higher, crypto was higher, high yield was tighter. Today, what, what do we have? We had crypto sell-off, we had the equity market reverse, and we had high yield widen out. It, to us, it's really that simple. There you go. So let's bring in that guy. Chris Harvey is the head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Seems like a good call. You, I mean, I, I assume you still believe that to be the case. We, we still believe there's a correlation. If so, so what does that tell us then about the future direction of either? Well, we don't look at the direction. We, we look at it as a risk. And what we think is maybe on Monday what we saw is all risk products sell off. And what it does, is it, it, sometimes it adds fuel to the fire. So we think about it more as what we have to watch out for, what we have to cauterize, what we have to tell our clients to be careful of. We don't really look at whether it's going to go. We, we don't make a call whether it's going to go up or down, but that it's a risk in the marketplace. And it's really far out on the risk spectrum. And as risk gets sold, it just adds fuel to the fire. And that's the concern. Yeah, I mean, I think, Chris, the question now is, um, do you think the next move higher in Bitcoin is going to be leading the market? Because this is where we're trying to go with this discussion. So, so what we do is we bring everything back to equity. So today we raise our price target. We think equities are going to be up 10%. If we're right, what we should see is risk product going from higher. Here, I'm sorry to interrupt you. 10% from, from, from here, we're going 10% higher this year. This year, next three to six months. So we're rather below. What we looked at is it's, it's all about earnings. 
earnings season has been fantastic. Guidance has been really good. When we look at, when you layer aggressive fiscal policy on top of aggressive monetary policy, it works, and it's working. And so we continue to see EPS numbers go higher. Valuation is looking better because prices come down. So overall, we think it's a very good, uh, the next three to six months are going to be a very good period. So what we're trying to say with regard to the cryptocurrencies is if we're right, and risk starts to be bid again, you should start to see a bid. It wouldn't surprise us to see a bid in some of the crypto but markets. You've got to be a little surprised, surprised about the way things have gone down in the equity markets. Because we had the least volatile year ever last year. I mean, right. literally the least volatile. Yeah. I feel like we're driving down the road. We hit a piece of ice, right? And the car's kind of swerving and whatever. And now, yeah. so you're saying something we're just going to get right back on the road no. and go straight. So but how do we know that? So last year was an anomaly. It, 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 the VIX was shot and run over and shot and run over. What we saw and what Pete and everyone else was saying is earlier this year, what, what did you see? Stocks of vol up. What did that say to me? That said that there was more risk in the marketplace. Now what you had last year is you had money chasing performance. I'm going to sell vol, sell vol, sell vol, sell vol. And it works. So you have weaker in hands, weaker in hands, and more aggressive people. When vol starts to tick up, then, then you pay the piper. And yeah. that's what we saw. We saw a massive demand for liquidity. We called around. I, I talked to all our desks, our cash desks, equity cash desks, our derivatives desks. Our, our convert desk. What we saw outside of the der derivative market was everyone was saying orderly, orderly, orderly. Chris, when you talk to the derivative market, it was not orderly. Bitcoin below 8,000. What are the right right institutions below. saying about Bitcoin today? What, what are so, they saying tomorrow? They, they just want to know. They want to know more about what's going on. They want to know about the volatility. They want to know about the correlation. They want to know about the risk. People don't really understand what's happening in that market. It's a growing market, or it has been a growing market, and they, they're not sure if at this point, how much they should pay attention to it and whether it's going to be a systematic risk. I don't think it's a systematic risk, but it is a risk. When you ask, when you talk about risk on, risk off, gold right. is not, doesn't serve its purpose. Is it now gold, being, I, gold, gold I know nothing about other than it's shiny and malleable. I, I, because of the, you know, the argument that Bitcoin should be worth some percentage of gold. Gold hasn't, in inflation, in volatility, it's not, it's not working. So, right. of, of, of all the things in the marketplace, gold is the only thing I can't talk about. Gold is the only thing I never have. I'm right. Karen, Karen, I, Karen, I, Karen, I, lo I love your point, though, because gold hasn't moved up. Right. As apparently, there's all this fear and terror in the market, no right. but no one's yeah. been buying any say, gold. Couldn't you say it like this, Chris? How about the fact dead. that the correlation between right. the idea that people have been trying to diversify their portfolios in some way or another? Right. Bitcoin, as we've all talked about on this desk, you don't want it to be 50% of your portfolio, no, probably, no. but maybe 3 or 5%. Right. And as that continues to grow, right. that in turn puts Bitcoin that much closer to moving with the correlation of right. the market itself. And, and something else we said, when people, people ask us, is there a lot of speculation in the equity market? We said, no, there's not a lot of speculation. However, we saw a lot of speculation in the cryptocurrency market. If you want to speculate, that's where you went. Now, as it gets more regulation, you should expect to see some of that speculation come out, more liquidity, a little less volatility, but it's still very far out on the risk spectrum. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, Bitcoin, by the way, we got it on the price chart there. You can see it's moving. That's what we do here. Yeah, it's above 7,000. We tend to put the price up there because people care. Oh, one. And we care. Well, money does move fast. <laughs> Chris, thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate it as well. What's your target on gold? Gold price target? No, no target. But, but it's very show. <laughs> <laughs> Short lithium. All right, so ahead. Does all this volatility have your head? I don't know. This is why Melissa goes on vacation so much. Does this make volatility have your head spinning? Well, don't worry, because Pete Najarian, sit up straight, has three simple tips for trading in a volatile market. He'll break it down. Power's movement, there we go, Tesla.
now up fractionally. The earnings webcast is about to get underway. Phil LeBeau, what is the one thing investors need to hear from the always colorful Elon Musk? Brian, it is all about the Model 3. In fact, Elon Musk has just started talking. He's just mentioned the Model 3. Sure, there will be a lot of questions regarding not only the forecast for the first to the second quarter, but beyond. We'll have more when Fast Money returns. Wall Street eyeing Wynn Resorts for a potential takeout following the resignation of founder and CEO Steve Wynn. For more on this developing story, let's go out west to Contessa Brewer, who is in Las Vegas. Contessa. Yeah, Brian, in resigning, Steve Wynn sent in a statement that basically he was dealt a bad hand. He complains about the rush to judgment. Even so, even with his resignation, the state regulators here in Nevada are still investigating. Regulators in Massachusetts are still conducting their investigation, and the board is still on the hook in these investigations. Even so, Nomura has raised its price target now to $211, up from $175, and from neutral to buy. Uh, Harry Curtis at Nomura tells me that he sees two big options here. One is that former president Matt Maddox, who will now step into the CEO role, uh, will run the company and will move forward and perhaps change out some of these directors on the board uh, and just try to operate the company as his boss did. Or the company gets sold and split off into assets. And other analysts have gone through the list of would-be acquirers. Take a look at uh, Las Vegas Sands, for instance, which has the finances to purchase a company like Wynn, but already is operating in Macau in Las Vegas. MGM is a possibility. Caesars has always wanted a presence in Macau. There's Genting and Galaxy Entertainment or another Chinese buyer. And analysts say their theory is that Beijing will have a strong say in this and may want more Chinese ownership on Macau. And of course, Wynn gets 70% of its revenue in account, makes it a very attractive option. One more note here, I'm told by several analysts they think that the company without Steve Wynn just simply doesn't have the same value. So if companies are looking to acquire at least a piece of the action, they may be looking to do so at a bargain. Brian? Contestants, Karen, let me ask you a question. You, you touched on a little bit that the brand is now tarnished, but could it be, could it be, I don't know, polished up again? They do have some extraordinary properties. Do you think that would, the tarnish will put buyers off? Uh, you know, it, to a trader, to an analyst that I've talked to about gaming, to an insider, they all say there is nobody else in the gaming world that can match the kind of unparalleled service and luxury that Wynn provides. But the Wynn name itself will be associated with Steve Wynn. I did talk to some conference meeting goers here last week and asked them if there was any awkwardness about attending meetings at the Wynn property. They said, no, we can separate it out. But you have to think that these regulators are going to have to weigh, do they want a win brand to continue in that state? Hey, contestants, Tim, is there any sense that there's you know, a small feeding frenzy from competitors? In other words, is this the time when other players in Las Vegas, in the industry, are starting to think maybe this is time to make a run for them? You know, I, I haven't heard that on the record. I mean, I, I've talked to some people at Las Vegas Sands, and I think that the sense is there, well, we already own properties in Macau and Las Vegas. Why would this be attractive to us? And yet, take a look at uh, Mohegan Sun, which had made a huge play for that casino license in Boston. Look at that property. It's in a huge metropolitan area. It's got a big international airport, easy to get in and out. And, and so when you're looking at what that value is, you have to think that Mohegan Sun might make a play for that again. Contessa Brewer out in Las Vegas. Contessa, thank you very much. We'll see you soon. 
All right, well, compared to some of the other casino giants, Wynn Resort's looking a little bit cheap. The market cap now about $18 billion, while MGM about $20 billion. Las Vegas Sands, run by Steve Wynn's good friend, $60 billion, run by Sheldon Adelson. So what would a potential deal for Wynn be worth? But, you know, Guy, I do worry about calling it cheap because what nobody knows is whether these the, the scandal, the allegations, which are incredibly serious and widespread, are going to make somebody say, you know what, I'm going to the block. I'm not going to win. Yeah. Is it going to damage their business where the, their earnings fall and it doesn't look cheap anymore? And when this story broke, Brian, Brian, Brian Kelly was on the desk. I was going to say, Saul Brian, and he said exactly what you just said. That that was his concern. My point was this: allegations are awful. I think we all agree. But I also think, and I said that day, that when is at a point now that they're mature enough as a company that they can survive this. And quite frankly, I do think they're attractive. And Tim pointed this out as well. This stock traded down to 165. We talked about it on valuation. It's cheaper than its peers. And I think they will survive this. Mr. Wynn is gone. You know, the allegations are there. They will be there. There is headline risk, absolutely. But these properties are worth a great deal more, in my opinion, than $175. I think it's a great share. buy. As a matter of fact, I bought it at 166 and part of it was we saw options come in there. This is in the middle of, uh, of January. Some huge option players were coming in there. And despite this news, Brian, many of the pieces are in place. I mean, Tim knows far more about the Macau, Macau world than I do. But internationally, that's in place all the way out multiple years. And then if you go to Vegas itself in the Lagoon, he talked about something on the conference call a lot of people didn't really pay attention to. But how many times did he address, and I can tell you many times, he addressed the idea of how well connected the Lagoon is with Las Vegas Sands properties. I think they're already setting something up there because of that fact already that's going on there. So, right. So this has largely been my view, and I, I think the international, I think Macau is unbelievable. But, but after this rally back, you have a stock that's trading effectively above where it zoomed up uh, after those last round of earnings, and there's still a lot of risk out there. I mean, I, I just don't understand. It's absolutely cheap. It's two and a half kind of turns cheap to LVS. But right now, just because of this news, to say that it's all clear, I don't think I don't you need think to do it. I think it's all clear. I think it's Is it worth it's, buying though now? After I, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's all clear. You have no, maybe fair. additional downside, so but so you also <laughs> have a realistic opportunity for a big, for, a, for a big event, a sale. Right. So the, 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 guy, the, guy, the guy richer than Wynn, Adelson, and his company's worth five or six times more. You wonder if he will come in and quote, you know, rescue. But if the there's more evidence of a guy at a time, you know, the punitive side of this is people going after a company because yeah. it's at the center of the same stuff that a lot of people are very upset about. Alleged. Yeah. So uh, I think know, could I, be... I, I may be wrong about it. I don't go to Vegas much, but but I think Wynn's got the only golf course downtown as well. The, the property has a lot of value is my point. Wow. All right. Pete just mentioned Wynn options. Let's get more now on that take with Mike Coe, who's out in Texas with more. Mike, what are they saying in the options market? Yeah, we did see double the average daily options volume in Win, and that's normally a name that trades quite a lot. And where we saw a lot of that activity was the March 185 calls, spent over five and a quarter apiece, or about 4,500 of those. Those are bullish bets that Win's going to be above 190 by March expiration, or up another 8% in about five weeks. And, you know, to Tim's point, this thing doubled revenues from 15 to expected 19. They could change the name from Win to Encore. Maybe that's a solution. Listen to you, Mike. I mean, Mike's yeah. got a future in nice branding marketing and, plan and marketing in addition to <laughs> dining in Chinese restaurants. Or, ah, you know, ah, ah. Well, maybe that could be some of the Wynn restaurants are good. <laughs> well, branding oh, expert, that could be his well encore. <laughs> More options, actions. Check out the full show Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. All right, still ahead. Tesla shares are revving higher in the after hour. CEO Elon Musk 
Speaking on the company webcast right now, we're going to bring you those comments. Plus, another wild day for stocks. So how should you navigate through all the crazy price swings we've seen? Pete and Jerry and that guy has three tips for buying in a volatile market. He's going to break it down for you when Fast Money returns. All right, welcome back. Another day, another series of wild swings for the equity market, but I guess that kind of seems to be the norm nowadays. Since the beginning of 2018, there have been already five days where the S&B has moved more than 1%. Three of them have taken place since the beginning of this month alone, and we're not that far into February. Compare this to 2017, when the S&P had just eight total 1% move days for the entire year. So if you're looking to get in, how do you buy in such a volatile market? Let's hand it over to Pete. He's breaking it down at the Plasma for a segment called The More You Know. <laughs> Great, The More You Know. Brian, it's always interesting to me because I actually find this to be fairly simplistic. Here's why. If we take a look at the chart right in front of us here, when you're buying in a volatile market, you look for a list of names that you're looking for that you don't own presently, but you'd love to own those, but you're waiting for the great opportunity. They have all the fundamental story, but maybe they're trading at too high of a PE, whatever the case may be, you've been watching them and waiting. You're also waiting for any kind of a pullback that seems like it's extreme or doesn't seem to have any value. You, it should be valued that it should be going down lower, or it shouldn't be going down that low, rather. It goes down 10%. That's a great opportunity. You're looking for that opportunity. Lastly, I love when I get the options coming in as well. If they start coming in to buy the options, I'm looking at a stock that's already down 10%. Fundamentally, the story's there. I want to be a part of that trade. I got one example for you. We're just going to go back to November. And if we look at this chart, this is Target. You look at this chart, not all that bad. It's down significantly, though, from where we started off the year at 65. Right around in here, not only we have heavy option activity here, but it gave us a great opportunity. I'm looking at Target. I see the fundamental story. It looks like Brian Cornell's got this thing ready to, ready to turn and burn. I actually looked at an opportunity here at 53. I'm still in the stock. I like those opportunities, and the options helped me out. The fundamental story helped me out, and that pullback helped me out. That's what you're looking for in these volatile markets. Peter, I would suggest that uh, for I the like first you, two, the following stock fits the criteria. Yep. But are you seeing options buying that would back up Apple at this point? You know what? We do see Apple buying, but you know, more. what I like to see is when they're not going way out of the money, Guy, and we aren't seeing the stuff that's a little bit closer. These are cheap shots where they're going way up above. Doesn't mean they're wrong, but it means that the stock is going to have absolutely have to really turn and go to the upside in a hurry. Those happen once in a while, but I'd rather see an Apple, somebody buying, for instance, the 180s or the 175 calls rather than the 200 calls for a big run. That was a great question, Guillermo. All right, still ahead. Check out shares of Tesla. They are higher after hours. The conference call happening right now. We're going to hear from CEO Elon Musk. I'm sure Timothy will have something to say about that as well. More yes, fast money right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla shares higher after its earnings report. The conference call is now underway. Philip Bowe has been monitoring it, and he joins us now with more. Phil? Brian, one reason the stock's moving higher is because some comments from Elon Musk uh, made just a few minutes ago regarding profitability. We'll hear from him in just a bit. But first, let's talk about the Model 3 because this is what so many people are focused on. Tesla reaffirming its guidance for Model 3 production, 2500 per week by the end of the first quarter, 
5,000 per week by the end of the second quarter. The main constraint or one of the constraints there being battery production, getting things so that they can uh, move forward at a higher rate in the second quarter. Elon Musk talking about that. Uh, they believe that they can overcome some of those constraints. With regard to profitability, here is the prediction Elon Musk made, oh, about three or four minutes ago. I'm partially optimistic that we will be gap profitable. Um, it's not, 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 it's not certain, but it's, I'm cautiously optimistic that uh, we will actually be uh, gap profitable with uh, no asterisk. We should point out they were gap profitable for one quarter, I think, back in 2016. They said, oh, it'll continue from here. Clearly, that has not been the case. As you take a look at their sales last year, a little over 100,000 uh, vehicles were sold. Those were primarily, almost exclusively, Model S and Model X. By the way, they're expected to have flat sales this year, so about 100,000 for those vehicles this year. But when you take a look at the rest of the year, when you add in the Model 3, you're probably looking at sales topping 200,000. And with regard to cash burn, it came in much better than expected, Brian. $236 million was the cash burn rate in the fourth quarter. Most people were expecting $900 million to $1 billion in terms of cash burn. We're going to hop back on the call. Obviously, more highlights tomorrow morning starting on Squawk Box. Guys, back to you. All right, Phil Lebeau. Phil, thank you very much. Guys, let's trade this very quickly. Tesla, anybody impressed, disappointed? I'm shocked. I'm, I'm shocked the stock's only up 1.8%. I mean, this is a guy oh, that's... Oh, that good? Well, I mean, although maybe people oh. are starting not to believe these, these proclamations that never come true. But this was about as good as he could have said. First of all, getting back to where they were supposed to be before the last time they told us that they weren't going to get there, and being at 25 annual Q1, 5,000 Q2, and then the cash burn is significantly better. Um, the gap thing is Color me surprised. I would be quite surprised if we see gap earnings, positive gap earnings, which, with no asterisk. I'd be quite surprised. The biggest surprise for me is the fact that it didn't get hit with the rest of the market. When the market went down, this stock was hardly down at all. So maybe that was part of it, the fact that That's it fair. had been hanging in there. The, but that cash burn, you're right. I mean, that is impressive. For investors, do the billion. quarterly numbers matter more or do the production numbers matter more on the, on the model? Is it a car company? Is, is it a car company, company or a computer I, company? Is it a software? Production. Flip I a coin. Because you're supposed to have the answer is not the production. question. Every day, guy. Because again, they have a pass as long as they're, as long as they're producing okay. cars. Interesting stuff. All right, it's time now for the Hard to believe. Already time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Pete Najarian. Gilead, last night earnings, the stock was down, then it moved up, and we had huge options in there today. I think it's going higher. All right, Karen. Yeah, big rotation out of Fang today. I think it's time for Apple right here. Time for Apple. Time for right Apple. Here. I like that. Brian, good yeah. stuff today, man. Yeah, Brian. fantastic. <laughs> Letter X, starting to move again. Get back in. U.S. Steel? Yes. All right. Yeah, I'm fine. You enjoying this week? Yes or no? Binary. <laughs> CME, Brian, with volatility back, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange should do well. The silence was definitely. If it wasn't 23 degrees and sleeting, yes, I would. Thank you. Okay. Resale. See you tomorrow. Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.